It is Impact Sunday, but we're in a series that we're calling Connect. And what we're doing is we're kind of alternating weeks, if you haven't figured that out by now. We take one week in which we look at a passage or an encounter that someone or a group of people have with God, how God connects with them, and then how that works itself out in God sending them to connect with others. And so we're repeating that pattern again today. Last week, we looked at Isaiah chapter six. And we said that Isaiah six is almost like a paradigm of connection. Isaiah catches a glimpse of who God is, automatically sees himself differently, recognizes he needs cleansing and forgiveness. He experiences God's grace. And in that experience, he is then sent to go for God. And throughout the series, and maybe last week and as we move to this week, maybe you've been reminded, um, as I have, of a problem that we kind of see in the church and maybe we even experience to one degree or another. And the problem goes like this. We often think that change is information plus discipline. If I can learn the right data and live out my duty, I'll be changed. Now, you may be able to make some superficial change that way, but that's not biblical change. That's not gospel change. That's not the kind of transformation that Jesus talks about and that the Bible's all about. In fact, that kind of change, the biblical change, is from the inside out. I was thinking about that this week since we're having baptisms today. You know, baptism is actually a really good example of this internal, external thing that we're talking about in Connect. We often describe baptism this way. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. So there's no magic in the water, right? Nothing really happens as a person gets wet, but it's an outward expression, an outward picture of something that's happened inside. That person has been cleansed and identified with Jesus and their sins have been forgiven. That's kind of how this series goes, right? The outward expressions are all the one another statements. And so when we say pray for one another, serve one another, forgive one another, care for one another, um, they are outward expressions. But in biblical terminology, those outward expressions need to be expressions of an internal reality. Those outward expressions of one anothering need to be rooted in the connection that we have with God. And so maybe it's perfectly appropriate that in the middle of this series, we have baptism, which is actually a picture of that. Well, this morning, we're going to do kind of the outward expression part from Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to look at forgive one another. So you're thinking, why did I come today? Forgive one another. Um, we tend to struggle with forgiveness, and I think Paul's going to give us some help. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, your phones, your iPads, or just kind of look at the screen. I have to turn around because the small print on the back screen, I uh, can't read it. Paul writes to the Ephesians, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, in case you haven't noticed, there are two parts to that, right? There's kind of a get rid of and a, and a put on stuff, right? Put off and put on. Get rid of this, instead do this. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. First is the get rid of part. I think you, it, this is pretty clearly implied. Paul's saying to the Ephesians that he's writing to, you guys resemble the before picture 
a whole lot better than the after picture. And so he says, you have anger, you have brawling, you have slander. And they are external expressions. Notice all those things have a behavioral component. And so rage and anger, brawling, slander, they're kind of outward expressions. Malice is different. Malice is a motivation. See, even our bad stuff has a root and fruit. So the fruit is all the rage and anger and brawling. The root is malice. That's the motivation. The idea with malice is, I intend to harm you. I intend evil for you. I intend to make you hurt a little bit more than you made me hurt. We're going to say it's 50-50, but that, that doesn't always work. We want to make them hurt a little more than they make us hurt. See how that works? There's bad fruit coming from a bad root, just like the gospel needs to change the root that then changes the fruit. Well, before we move on, we need to stop and ask, how, how about you? You know, if you were to take those words, bitterness, right, the inability or unwillingness to forgive, you're going to hold that grudge because, let's be honest, it feels good, right? And Paul just says, get rid of it. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling. Are any of those things true of you? If the Ephesian church resembled the before picture, how are you doing? How's your anger factor? How's your malice meter? How's your brawling and slandering, cutting people down with words or speaking about them behind their backs? How are you with those things? How are you measuring up? Now, notice if we leave off verse 32 and just look at verse 31, you kind of look at that and say, Paul, do you know what you're talking? He just says, well, get rid of it. You're angry, stop. You slander people, talk about it, don't do that. You have malice in your heart, you want vengeance, stop that. How Does that work? You find that works? My guess is you have a list of bad stuff in your life that you do and say, and you've probably told yourself or other people have told you, stop that. Does that work? So where does Paul get off saying, well, just get rid of this stuff, get rid of it, you know, just like the trash, take it out, it's gone. I don't know about you, the trash wanders back into my life. I, I could take it out all I want. It, you can't just get rid of it. But you know, Paul knows what he's talking about. Let me give you a couple of examples. Paul had lots of reason to be really mad at lots of different people. You know, as you read through the book of Acts where Paul kind of comes to the fore, here's what you discover. In the beginning, the Jews are really ticked at Paul. Because all of a sudden, he changes teams in their eyes, right? He's a Jew. He's persecuting these newfound Christians. All of a sudden, he changes teams. Now he's on the Christian side. The Jews hate that. And they come after Paul, and they're saying nasty things and are persecuting him and trying to run him down. They're beating him. And then he's not a Christian too long. Then a lot of the Christians don't like Paul. They're, um, they're separating from Paul. They're ignoring Paul. They're trying to do this behind his back. They're saying nasty things. about. So the Jews first, they don't like Paul. Then the Christians don't like Paul. Oh, not long after that, then the Romans really hate Paul because they think he's destroying the political system that they very carefully constructed. So the Jews hate Paul. The Christians don't like Paul. The Romans are after Paul. Paul has lots of reason to be mad at lots of people. Oh, yeah. He has reason even to be mad at God. Did you ever look at Paul's life this way? His life was going really well 
until he met God. And all of a sudden, in that passage in Acts, he meets God, and his life is in the pit from there on out. Things were going well. He's esteemed. People are looking up to him. People are respecting him. They're coming after him. They're following him. He becomes a Christian, and all hell breaks loose in his life. He has reason to be mad at God. So when he says, get rid of, he, he knows what he's talking about, to have people against him. He knows what it's like to have those seeds of malice bubble up into anger, bubble up into brawling. And he has that same temptation that we have with lots of reason. But you know what I really like about Paul? He thinks people can change. You wouldn't say get rid of this stuff if you didn't think people could get rid of it. Now again, verse 31 all by itself is kind of superficial, but Paul says, get rid of it. He thinks you can really get rid of it. We live in a world where most people say, you really can't change. Whatever you are, that's what you are. You really can't change anything. Paul didn't think that. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says change is real. Paul has reason to, give, to be mad at people. People have sinned against him. He knows what it's like to be in that situation, but he really thinks people can change. And he says, get rid of it. Do you ever ask how, though? Like, how do you do that? That's hard, right? How do you do it? I'm glad you asked, because that's what verse 32 is about. Now, these words, instead of, are not in your Bible. But they're clearly implied. Here's what Paul is actually saying. And I'm not making this up. You can look at it. Put off, instead of the anger, brawling, slander, and mouths, instead of that, put on this stuff. Do this. And here's what he says. Instead, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Instead of those bad things, do these things. But notice, just like in verse 31, there's fruit coming from a root. So in verse 32, there's fruit coming from a root. Well, let's talk about forgiving one another. Um, I won't ask you to raise your hand. I don't want to indict any of you or embarrass any of you. How good are you at forgiving people? It's tough, right? And I can say put off. I can say get rid of. But the bottom line, we often don't want to because it feels so good, right? I mean, people do, thing, do us dirty, do bad things to us. We harbor the grudge. We nurture the grudge. We want to tell other people the story of how they've hurt us. We want to enlist their emotional support, their verbal support. We want them to win them to our side. We don't want to forgive and get rid of it. We want to gather a group of people that agree with us that justify our nasty attitudes and actions. Or is that just me? Well, how do we do it? Not just in these verses, but it's spoken of clearly through the Bible. Here's how you have to do it. Number one, you have to identify with the wrongdoer. See, here's the problem. When somebody sins against us and we feel justified in our anger and our brawling and our slander, when that malice begins to bubble up into all that nasty stuff, we don't identify at all. We say, I would never... I could never, well, you actually could, but you keep saying you would never. 
Um, it goes like this. We begin to exclude the wrongdoer from the world of human beings. And we exclude ourselves from the world of wrongdoing. And when we do those two things, we will never forgive. When we make a caricature of the person that wounded us, you know, we take all those little features and exaggerate them till they're grotesque looking, and we exclude ourselves from the category of people that ever do wrong, you'll never be able to forgive. The first step is identify yourself with the wrong. You may not do exactly what they've done. You may not have done what they've done. But let's face it, we've done people dirty. We've gotten angry and we brawl and we slander and we've got malice in our hearts. Identify with the wrong. That's step one. And then step two, here's the hard part. Decide to cancel the debt. Decide to cancel the debt. Whatever that debt. Now, here's a, here's a bit of practical homework for you. Until you actually identify the debt, you can't cancel it. Like, and until you know what the bill is, you can't cancel the bill, right? So in some small way, we all have to be kind of accountants in this deal. We have to kind of tally up the debt, not to go share with the person, not to present the bill to them. In our own minds, tally up what the wrongdoing is. And once it's tallied, cancel it. Debts do not just evaporate into thin air. Somebody's going to pay. Either you're going to work it out so that the wrongdoer pays or you're going to pay. But somebody's going to pay. And the reason that forgiveness hurts so much is that in forgiveness, we pay for the offense of the wrongdoer. Take a simple example. Suppose that someone steals something of yours, something really important, like your sand wedge. You know, they ask to borrow your club, they steal your sandwich, right? And they claim they don't know where it is. Bottom line, you don't have a sandwich. Now, the person may say, oh, I'm really sorry. I'll buy you a new sandwich. Yeah, but if they buy the new sandwich, they're paying their own debt, right? If you forgive, you still need a sandwich. You're going to Golf Galaxy, and you're buying a new sandwich, and you're paying the bill. Forgiveness is you cancel the debt, but that implies you paid the debt. And maybe the hardest part, three, you seek the good of the person that wronged you. Now, again, I didn't say you give them whatever they want. I didn't say you put yourself in a position to be wounded again. I didn't say, I'm, not, I'm just saying you seek good for them. You pray for them. You care about them. When, you, when that little voice inside tells you to draw grotesque features onto the caricature, you refuse. You remind yourself the debt has been canceled. Can I remind you of the last part of the verse? Remember I talked about fruit and root? Yeah, here we go. One anothering is an outward expression of an inward reality. How does Paul sum up to forgive one another? Here's what he says. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. You know, we have a pretty high standard, friends. Here's the standard. Treat other people as God treated you. Not as they deserve, not as they demand, but as God treated you.
Forgive one another as God forgave you. Oh, by the way, how does God's forgiveness work? Jesus identified with you, the wrongdoer. He canceled the debt by paying the debt. And he seeks your good by calling you to partner with him in connecting and impacting. All we do is to do to others what God has done for us. One anothering is just an outward expression of the inner reality of connecting and being impacted with Jesus. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, So time, sometimes the, the teaching of Scripture is so simple and so painful. It's easy to state or restate what it says, but there's a lot of struggle and pain in living it out. Lord, I'm really thankful that this morning we get to look at example and to hear example after example of the inner reality and change that you've made in people's lives. And Lord, thanks that this comes in the middle of a series where we're looking, about, looking at that inward change that produces an outward expression. Now, Lord, you help us realize that connecting with you on the inside produces fruit of one anothering on the outside. We pray in the name of Jesus who makes that a reality. Amen.